Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I am the Chief Diversity Officer here at the AAVMC. Now, If you have not been under a rock for the last few years, you know that the summer of 2020 was quite the doozy. Um, Certainly the murder of George Floyd sparked a bit of a racial reckoning, certainly here in the U.S., but also globally. Um, And uh, certainly tentacles of that continue to... uh, persists now. And that's that's great. We needed this kind of um, energy. We certainly did not need to see another murder, but we uh, extrajudicial murder at that. But we did need to kind of have this um, um, time to really start thinking about how to move things forward um, in the larger society, but also for us specifically in veterinary medicine. And so, uh, you know, in the wake of those events um, in vet med, we certainly saw the number of affinity groups grow, um, but we also saw organizations, legacy uh, veterinary organizations, really big and old ones um, and new ones as well, as well as industry groups create new diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, strategic plans and committees and coalitions really looking to create um, new opportunities to to, um, advance discussions about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also think about things like scholarships and programming for BIPOC veterinarians as well as other um, folks with marginalized identities within the profession. Um, Today, we are going to be featuring a conversation with some wonderful colleagues um, from Diversify Vet Med Coalition, DVMC. My guests today are Dr. Kimber Marshall and Jennifer O'Gear. Did I pronounce that right, Jennifer? Okay, great. So uh, why don't we get started? Um, as we uh, always do on our show, we ask our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. So Jennifer, we're going to actually start with you. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Greenhill, for having us here today. It's a pleasure to finally um, be in the virtual room with you. I've sort of heard so much wonderful things about you, read your books, read your work, and um, it's just really been an honor to sort of follow you on your journey and to be part of this uh, podcast today. So my name is uh, Jennifer Ogier. I am a veterinarian. This is uh, my 30th year being a veterinarian. My background primarily has been in academia, in emergency medicine and critical care. Uh, My current title is the Vice President of Medical Science and Innovation at Antec Diagnostics, which is part of Mars uh, Pet Care and also Mars Veterinary Health. That is part of Mars Vet Care. Um, I... I'm thrilled to be a part of the DVMC as one of the founding members and I currently serve as the vice chair at the DVMC. Um, I work with a number of other organizations. I'm currently on the executive for the Black Veterinary Association of Canada. Uh, I'm a Canadian expat currently living in the United States. I'm really pleased that I have the opportunity to do the DEI work across uh, different countries and across 
in a in a in a sort of what I consider um, a borderless society that allows us to talk about this work in a way that's meaningful but also impactful. So thank you. Thank you. And please, on this show, we are very informal. My name is Lisa. Just give me a, just, just call me Lisa. We are just pals having a good old conversation here. So um, we are also joined now by uh, Dr. Courtney Campbell. Welcome. Welcome. We are going to come back to you in a few minutes. Uh, Campbell, why don't you tell folks about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I echo uh, Jen's uh, warm appreciation for your invite, Lisa. This is the uh, the hot show to be on. So it is not lost on us that we have uh, made the cut. Uh, everyone, Kemba Marshall, um, I graduated from the University of Florida. Um, I've had a career that's been everywhere from clinical practice uh, to corporate veterinary medicine. Now I'm on the research development side. I have the absolute honor and privilege um, as to serve as executive consultant for the Diversify Veterinary Medical Coalition. Um, you know, as, as Jen has already shared, we are delighted to be here and really focused on um, action that makes our, makes our profession more diverse, equitable, and inclusive for all. Awesome. Wonderful. And as I mentioned, the super surgeon has joined the chat. Hi, Lisa. How are you? This is, this is, I feel like, I mean, I am in very distinguished company. I've got you, Jen, Kimba, all on together in one place. I mean, I, I, this is must see TV, right? Right here. This is must see TV. Um, listen, as I try to decrease my heart rate from being with such distinguished company, I'll tell everybody, my name is Courtney Campbell. I'm based out in Ventura, California. I'm a surgeon out there, a small animal surgeon. And uh, yeah, just like a lot of veterinarians, I've kind of done a little bit of a national tour in effort of internships and residencies. So, uh, you know, Connecticut, by far, everyone knows, and this is true, the most boring state in the union. I left that state and now I'm in, in California. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing. I'm one of the founding members of the DBMC, uh, I'm in the incoming chair for the ACBS DI committee. I've served on possibilities as well. And of course, the AVMA DI commission. So it's just an amazing, it's an amazing inertia and momentum to be part of keeping in mind, always cognizant that people have laid the groundwork in order for this moment, for this inertia to continue. So I try to I try to keep that in mind at all times. As we push forward, we got to remember those who laid that groundwork for us to push off on. All right, great. Well, welcome to the show, each of you. I am so happy to uh, have you on the show and to have this conversation. So let's dig in. So Jen, we're going to start with you. What is DVMC and what is DVMC's origin story? Yeah, so thank you, Lisa. Um, the DVMC, as you mentioned in your introduction, is the Diversify Veterinary Medicine Coalition. And really what we are is we're a, work, a group of leaders, animal health professionals, uh, veterinarians, really working to accelerate diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the veterinary profession. And we're doing that today really to strengthen the talent pipeline that we have. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about sort of how we're actually tactically thinking about what our pipeline looks like for tomorrow in terms of BIPOC representation in veterinary medicine. And really how we started is, you know, I'd say we started with a group of very passionate, dedicated individuals, a very united front of people who came together. Because I think as you're well aware, Lisa, we have a shortage of veterinarians currently. 
and not only a shortage of veterinarians, but we have a shortage of diversity of veterinarians in our profession, which you know really threatens our ability to serve our communities, to provide pet care, and to support the people who are those pet parents. And so I think part of the mission of what we started to do was founded in how do we address this current crisis and how do we sort of bring together, you know, leading organizations. We have a number of key founding sponsors. And if I may just list some of those, uh, Boringer Engelheim, uh, we have the Mars Veterinary Health Group that includes, you know, the Veterinary Centers of America, Banfield, Blue Pearl, we Zoetis, Hills, Pet Nutrition, the IDEX Foundation, Antec Diagnostics, and we also have a number of other affiliate groups that we've been working with, and that includes the Multicultural VMA. We've also been working with the NABV and, of course, the AAVMC with Dr. Andrew McCabe and others. And so I just really want to acknowledge that, you know, this really has been a partnership and a, an alliance of really, you know, key people in this industry who are committed to this work and are very passionate and dedicated to us. Us, um, starting this work, not just as founding members, but continuing to work on our mission. And I know Kemba is going to speak a little bit about that here shortly. So thank you. So, so yeah, Kemba, tell us what are the goals? Uh, we know that there's the shortages and all of that, but you know, what is DVMC really doing out there? Yeah. Great question. Great question. So I might just pivot, which is a word that we've been talking about a lot um, and hand that off to my my peer, um, Courtney Campbell, and really have him speak to the goals of DVMC. And then I'll follow behind and um, add in add in my two points. Oh, Kimba, you're going to tag me in on this tag team approach and I'll take the tag. But I definitely think you could probably do a little bit more service. Listen, we're in a we're in a pivotal moment here. We're on a momentous occasion. Here I am in a clinical environment, right? I'm wearing a scrub top. I'm in the hospital. I'm doing surgery. And the reason why I find that to be so auspicious, the reason why I find that to be so important is because I'm also joined by somebody from academia, and I'm joined by two sort of industry powerhouses. And if that doesn't represent the diversity of this profession, I don't know what does. Right. And that, I think, is the key goal for Diversify Veterinary Medicine, the Diversify Veterinary Medicine Coalition. It's to diversify veterinary medicine profession. But I don't want the word diversify to have an outsized impact to the other ideals that we mentioned. There's a reason why we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And I just feel like it's impossible to achieve one ideal without the others. Right. And so if you simply have diversity but you don't have equity, you don't, you're not cause inclusive and people don't feel a sense of belonging, then you don't have justice. And that essentially for me is what the Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalition is all about. It's not only just to diversify the profession, but it's also to make sure that they experience, this profession experiences all the other beautiful benefits of diversity, which include equity, inclusion, and hopefully uh, the result is that people feel a sense of belonging. Kamba? I thank you. I will add to that. I will say that, you know, we talk a lot about what the DVMC is uniquely suited yeah. to do. And when we think about those things, we think about number one, funding individuals, be it uh veterinary 
professionals, veterinary technicians, students to number one, attend continuing education meetings. The reason that all of us know one another is we have the ability to number one, take off work. Number two, buy that plane ticket. Number three, register for that conference stay in that conference hotel, right? All of those things take resources that we know not all of our veterinary professionals have the ability to leverage on their own. So number one, we think about travel grants to get individuals to continuing education meetings. We also talk about scholarship dollars for pre-veterinary students and for veterinary students. We know that there are sometimes innumerable barriers, but we know that when you think about financial barriers, those sometimes uh, impact BIPOC communities in a very unique and distinct way when you think about getting into the veterinary medical profession. Um, the third thing that DVMC is uniquely suited to do is have paid internships for our pre-veterinary students in, uh, in the organizations that make up the coalition. Right. I mean, so often we hear that, oh, someone is, you know, trying to get those hands on animal contact hours. Someone is trying to get experience so that their resume um, is weighty enough to be considered for veterinary medicine. And when you're having to do that work and you're unable to earn income doing that, we also see that as a barrier. So those are the three things that we're focused on, those travel grants, scholarship dollar support and paid internships. Oh, that's great. So shameless plug, yesterday uh, at AAVMC and certainly last week, we hosted a two-part uh, webinar series on uh, you know, some of our admissions uh, research and really kind of zeroing in on those experiential hours. And we know that you know, um, BIPOC students, uh, first-gen students, students from low-income backgrounds, um, and rural students in particular, all of those kind of um, identities tend to overlap in our data set, right? Um, but they all report having more difficulty getting experiential hours, right? Um, and not only do they have more difficulty, they really typically are not in positions to take unpaid, um, you know, uh, positions to kind of get that experience, right? Um, we find that they actually do get through, they somehow duct tape and paper clip the hours together, right? But, you know, they might not have the diversity of hours because they had to get hours to work. They might have um, not been able to go to some of these really great meetings, like AABMC will be go, um, going to the um, annual biomedical research conference for minority students and the SACNIS meeting, which, you know, both of those meetings target underrepresented, racially and ethnically underrepresented students. You know, these students typically are not able to go to those kinds of meetings to see our tables, the college's tables, those kinds of things. Um, and so, you know, these opportunities really do open doors for students, right? Um, so, you know, the scholarship thing, oh yes, that's another one of Lisa's like soapbox <laughs> issues. So I'm delighted to hear that pre-vet students are also kind of getting in on um, the opportunity because, you know, yeah, there's, there's funding needed all across the, you know, up and down that continuum. So um, that's great. So with all of the new groups, because there have been, you know, so many after 2020, there was like an explosion of groups, which is a good thing. Of course, I think that, you know, now we're looking two years past. Some groups have not 
vanished, but you know, maybe the intensity level has, um, you know, softened a bit. Um, you know, I'm really curious about what role do you see DVMC having very specifically in this space? You know, we, we know what you're doing that is unique, but how do you see yourself, um, you know, as a coalition really making that difference? Jen, we'll start with you. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Kemba sort of hit a bit on it, right? We have a really strong corporate donor base. Um, and so we're very fortunate to sort of have that support. We have the ability to not only give travel grants to these major conferences, but also now to provide scholarships on an annual basis to, you know, pre-veterinary and veterinary students to allow them to realize that dream of becoming a veterinarian, which we know a lot of times one of the biggest barriers to doing that is the financial aid or the support. And so I think, you know, the internships that we can also offer, those paid internships through our organizations and also the affiliate groups we work with is another unique opportunity we have to not only support the learning and expose these individuals that are these scholarship recipients to the different career paths that are available to them or even to different experiences. And through those internships, we now have the additional opportunity to be able to provide mentorship, right? to be able to guide them, to be able to say, you know, who would you like to speak to? What do you think your, your career path looks like? And who is a resource that can sort of maybe give you that guidance and what you need to do to ultimately say, listen, I want to be a specialist. So I want to be somebody who really, you know, cares about zoo animal medicine. And I want to sort of, you know, get that exposure. And so I think, you know, this community that we're building around us and the committee uh, members we have and also the affiliate group members we have, we've really come together in a very dedicated, involved and engaged manner to ensure that, you know, we are sort of targeting what are those barriers? What are those challenges that don't enable, you know, BIPOC individuals to get into this profession and stay? And even to say, when I get there, how do I continue to feel like I belong here, that I am in an environment where um, I feel cared for, I feel that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm safe. And I want to stay because it's not only that we are struggling as a profession with not having enough veterinarians, it's also about recruiting veterinarians and retaining them in this profession. When we come from a background where sometimes at a very early age, we're discouraged as someone of BIPOC origin from, from thinking of this as a career path for us. And I, so I think, you know, this starts in how us uniquely at the DVMC supports that educational journey, that mentorship, providing those opportunities with the financial support all the way from a very young age to adulthood, to actually thinking that this really is, in my opinion, the best profession to be in and stay in on your life's journey. So uh, thank you. Do you really, really love the profession? You seem like you really, really love the profession. years later, a critical care, Lisa, and I'm still, I would do it for another 20 years. All of my adrenals are quite large right now, but yes. <laughs> so, you know, how will you know that you've made a difference? You know, what are, so folks that know me well know I love assessment. I love evaluation. I love knowing like, okay, so... Like, how do you know that you've made a difference? So, Dr. Marshall, Kimba, how do you know? Yeah. How will you know when DVMC has made a difference? 
Great question. Great question. So first, let's let's talk through, like, how do we even get here today? Yes. So once we have the individuals who say this is important and should be done. Right. We have to do the infrastructure. We had to get our nonprofit status. We have to get our funding organizations. We have to get our founding partner. So all of that infrastructure work, um, standing up the website, you know, all of those things are things that we've already uh, been able to accomplish. And then when you think about that, we also want to make sure that we have the right people on the team, not just those of us that you see now, right? But the lawyers who support us and making sure that everything is done decently and in order, our finance team, our marketing team, right? So getting all of the people to really push this coalition forward. And then we think about things that we've been able to accomplish so far, we've awarded 20 of those travel grants. And when we award those travel grants, really what we want to be able to do is, is create a space for those travel grant recipients to share their stories, to have their voices heard. So when we're bringing them to these meetings, we do things like networking. You know, here are the folks who make up the coalition. Um, you know, we've got CEOs, we've got vice presidents, we've got surgeons, we've got these specialists are saying, yes, like, come talk to us. You can see that we're real people. And then the other thing that we want to do is, is give them the confidence to, to share your why, share your journey, right? So that we understand that these folks um, may not be household names the way you yourself are, Dr. Greenhill, but that is very important to get into the, the habit and the practice of when you're supporting an individual, the first thing you should do is ask them, what can we do for you? Right. We're not going to assume we're not going to do like a cookie cutter package, but we're going to work with our travel grant recipients and say, what would you like to say? What venues would you like to speak at? What topics would you like to cover? Um, we've got five of our pre-veterinary students who have already been awarded. Right. So these five students, we wrap our arms around them. We holistically support them through their process, realizing that they're students, right? Students are human beings and these students may change their minds, which is fine. But if these students say, my desire is to go to vet school, then we wanna walk with them lockstep to know that we can do everything that we can to support them. The other thing I would say is, you know, we also want to be very intentional about how we continue to put this work forward. Lisa, as you mentioned, you know, in 2020, if you think about the billions of dollars corporately, which were pledged to address social injustice, racial inequities, and when you look at the actual dollars that have been deployed and the actual work that has that has been done. There's quite uh, a gap there, right? So we also want to make sure that this is not something that was important because we all saw those horrific images in 2020 when we were shut up in our homes. But we really understand the systemic issues that not only have gotten us where we are here today, but left unchecked what those systemic issues will continue to do, not just to our profession, but also to our society as a whole, yeah. right? So the, the evergreenness, the sustainability of the coalition is quite important to us. Great, great. So tell us, um, you know, uh, this wasn't on my list, so everybody keep calm. Keep calm and just, just roll with me. So how are you really kind of holistically supporting these pre-vet students? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I think that, um, 
you know, a lot of times uh, we narrowly focus on the pre-vet student for the purposes of like, okay, so we're just getting them to the application. Like they have to jump through these little, you know, hoops and, you know, run these races to get to the application. But we also recognize that one, they're already in an academic environment that they might be you know, one of few in some places, certainly not everywhere, um, but also recognizing that that transition can be a really big jump, right? And a lot of times, you know, it, it, I, I tell people all the time that um, a lot of times it's rarely actually about the academics. It's about the lack of psychosocial support that leads to a decline in the academics, right? And so, um, so tell us, could you explain a little bit more about, you know, how you're supporting some of those pre-vet students? Because um, yeah. that's really, really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So currently we are partnering with the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. And what we have said to them is we want to lean on their expertise in identifying these top scholars and, and, and making sure that these students have expressed an interest in um, matriculating going on to veterinary school. So also we know that it's important that we want all of these students to be a part of the Thurgood Marshall Leadership Institute. Because to your point, some of it is how do you give the presentation? How do you hop on the podcast? How do you have that elevator speech when someone says, you know, you got the three minutes or the three bullet points? All of that comes with practice. Right. Um, in addition to making sure they're supported at the Leadership Institute, we also know that our commitment is that they will, again, have those paid internships that we will organize for them. So all of these uh, students I'm in contact with, they all have my cell phone number. And it's anything from, hey, has the scholarship money, you know, been transferred to my bursar's office to I was just on the phone um, with one of our pre-vet students. And um, we were talking about the list of schools that they would be applying to. And I didn't hear their home state school. And I said, when you're thinking about the difference between in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition, I would strongly encourage you to apply to your home, your in-state school. And the person said, hey, you know, the issue is that application is due tomorrow or something. There was a really tight yeah. deadline. And I was like, get off the phone with me brew that pot of coffee and make it work because the difference that you will come that you will come with the level of potential debt if you're coming from an in-state school versus an out-of-state school is worth you not sleeping tonight i'm like i promise you if it's worth it like you will do this application and get it done tonight um so we think about that just the the how to and what should i be thinking and oh let me ask you this question um and then i think the third thing i would say is you know trying with a really intentional focus to say if there is any question there is no bad question there's no inappropriate question literally let us help you because the things that you aspire to do maybe not that kemba has done all of those things but between the dvmc and our extended network i know someone who has done that very same thing so let us walk with you so that you can you know miss some of those potholes that we have stepped into right and then how do we give them the space to still say 
you're still going to be a young person in college, right? And you still will make decisions that may not be what we would make, right? So how do we support you um, in those things? Because of course, when you're thinking about like, when is the deadline, right? In a perfect world, you're thinking about that months ago, right? So we can avoid the all-nighter, but you know what? It is what it is. So when I think about that holistic report uh, support, it's really just being there to guide, to answer questions, to help. That's great. That is that is great. Yes. In a perfect world, we wouldn't procrastinate. And yet this is the world we're in. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, and Lisa, I just wanted to make a couple of comments to yes. follow because you know I think she hit some key points there, which is, you know, what is that personalized direction and guidance that we want to give these young people? Because it will be you know, we can talk and we always say this, right? We can talk, but talk doesn't matter if it isn't followed by meaningful action, if it isn't followed by giving people that mentorship and the guidance they need. And, you know, I think we all probably, you know, uh, Kember and Courtney, myself and others who are part of the DVMC and even our affinity group members and colleagues who are, you know, so aligned with us, we all have a personal story of potential struggle and of a day where we didn't want to keep doing this. And I think, you know, when we share those stories and we 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 let people recognize that out of sort of sometimes those darkest days, the courage builds and there is strength, right, to be that light. And, you know, uh, the hill we climb by Amanda Gorman always sticks with me, like you see the light and you have to be the light. How do we help these young people shine? And sometimes it's that personalized journey and that story to tell. And, you know, I know we all have that. And, and I think that sometimes is that one glimmer of sort of hope is what keeps them sort of on the path. And so I just want to acknowledge all my colleagues, including Kemba and Courtney, for being so open and always sharing their story and always being so generous with their time to help young people see what our path looks like and to get there. Oh, that's that's so great. And yeah, those personalized stories are really meaningful. They they give hope, but they also speak to, you know, validating feelings and validating, you know, really what end up being shared or replicated experiences, right? Um, I think that that's really important. And even as somebody who just gets to hang around all you fabulous people, because I'm not a veterinarian, I have to remind folks of that every now and again. You know, I last week I was at a veterinary meeting, Kimba and I were chatting about this, and I've also been really open about it on social media as well, that I was at a meeting and, you know, there were like, you could count the BIPOC folks on your fingers and have like one hand. And have fingers left over, right? Um, there, it was we're looking high and low here, right? And so, um, and and I had commented that uh, commented on social media. I was like, "Wow, people are not there are people here not speaking to me. Is it is it me? <laughs> if it is me, like I brushed, I bathed." Like I didn't, you know, like the morning routine. So I know it's not that. Like, why is it? Is it just because, you know, it's early, we haven't had our coffee? Is it because the folks just don't speak? Or is it because I look like this? Right. Um, and and as a person living in this kind of skin, right, those are questions that are, um, you know, pop up in the back of your head, and, you know, and I did, I posted, I, I tweeted about it, I posted about it, and 
like really for listeners who are not BIPOC, um, the number of BIPOC professionals who are like, oh yeah, girl, that <laughs> going to a minor. And I was like, I mean, now granted, I've been around for 20 years, right? And and there's a part of that shared experience that was, yeah, you're right. I've been around for 20 years and you're right. This is sadly a veterinary meeting. The flip side of that is that's a veterinary meeting. <laughs> it's not hard. Right. But students, if you're thinking about it from the perspective of, say, a pre-vet student who might be first or second year in their undergraduate career, that could be crushing. Right. That experience could really be crushing and saying, wow, this is so not a welcoming space. And to be able to at least have other people that say, no, I've been around for 30 years and they still don't think. No, so I'm like, I'm not driving y'all. I'm really not. <laughs> but I mean, I think that it's important for us to be um, for for students that we are recruiting in, that we're transparent and that they have people to talk to about these things. It's not just about calling Courtney about a broken leg, because that's as sophisticated as my conversation in the <laughs> he's picking it. Right. It's really about, hey, I I was, I had this experience and I kind of need to bounce it off so I can get some thoughts about how to proceed. And is this okay for me? Right. I think it's really important for folks to have that reality. So um, having said all of that, Courtney, what do you see as the biggest challenge for DVMC and, and groups like it? Yeah, this is, as I mentioned before, this is a pivotal moment. I think what sometimes your greatest strength is sometimes your biggest challenge. Like one of our strengths that we're bringing to the DVMC is the diversity. But one of the biggest challenges is the diversity of the profession. It is the fact that you have academia uh, in this conversation, industry, clinical veterinary medicine, and then all the species specialization, bovine uh, practitioners and, uh, you know, small animal, large animal, and the list goes on. It's how do you appeal to all of these uh, disparate groups that are under one umbrella in the profession and let them know that um, in every professional valence that's within within veterinary medicine is understanding that we can all benefit from diverse having a diverse team. We can all celebrate the wins of having a diverse team, the fact that it improves creativity, innovation. Uh, plenty of studies indicate that it improves the bottom line. If, they, if you're uh, veterinary economics, uh, you know, of the veterinary economics persuasion. So I think that that's one of the biggest challenges is with the DVMC is understanding that we want to appeal to the profession uh, at large and the profession at large is composed of or comprised of a variety of disparate groups and letting them know and spreading the good news that diversity is is beneficial and creating equity equitable situations and inclusive scenarios also, I think patience, right? One of our calling cards, one of our hallmarks is that we are action-based. We want to do something about it, right? Uh, do something about the diversity crisis. And when you are action-based, sometimes it's hard to be patient, mm -hmm. right? And so we look at these numbers, the statistics, and let's be clear about something. Because we are sort of had this co sort of uh, coalition of consciousness, what I call it, post-murder of George Floyd, these numbers and these statistics 
are entrenched. They are inveterate. They're chronic. They've been there for a while. And so you have to have this level of patience to say, it's going to take a while to change it. Now, occasionally I'll get the folks who are not necessarily, you know, initiated or uh, not necessarily in the know of, of DI. And they'll be like, Courtney, man, I, I've been seeing these, there's no diversity in our profession, man. How can we, what can we do about that? And I'm like, oh, we could have started 20 years ago. You know what I mean? So, or longer. And so that's the challenge is making sure that we create a profession that's retent, that retent, retains folks, the talent that we have. It continues to spread awareness. We're patient and we try not to sort of boil the ocean, right? And I, I, I try to remember that. Mm-hmm. It's like, we can do something, but we can't do everything. And I think that's why I really appreciate your question about what is the DBMC uniquely suited to do. And uh, I look at it as just one big happy family or one big team, and we're all in the same league. And some teams are really good at this, and some teams are really good at that. So I think for me, it's number one is understanding the diversity of the profession. That creates a challenge. Two, being patient and just that slow, steady pressure. And then three is awareness, is helping people understand that, you know, what? Diversity crisis. So what? The fact that it hurts people. And then now what? What are we doing about it? And so if we follow that paradigm of what, so what, and now what, I think we can really move this forward. Yeah. Thanks for bringing up that patience piece, because it is very difficult (laughs) to be patient, (laughs) right? It's very, very difficult to be patient. And folks are always like, hey, I'm looking for, you know, this unicorn, (laughs) like, you know, a black male something, 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 specialist, board certified in blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, have we made one of those? Like, I don't know. (laughs) And if we haven't, it might, you know, if they're already in vet school, we might see one in five to, you know, seven years. But if not, it could take 10 to 15 years, right? And so really kind of thinking about what that looks like is is important. Um, And and, sorry to interrupt you, but to couple that with what you were saying as far as the psychosocial support is that you could be along the pipeline, right? You could be along the pipeline. And uh, just my personal experience is that, you know, there are tips, tricks, inside knowledge that you may need to get over that finish line. And if you don't necessarily have that support, then that number that you stated, like let's say 10 years, yeah. that can actually stretch to 15 years yeah. or 16 years simply by not having that level of support. And that I'm speaking from personal experience. So I certainly think that if we have this talent pool in the pipeline, you know, making sure that you retain them and making sure that they actually complete that uh, that journey is, I think, for me, the key. It's not just a matter of having them in the journey. It's like, how do you foster and shepherd them along? Because yeah. other people who are in the majority are also being shepherded just in a variety of ways. Yeah, yeah. Such a good point. Such a good point. Lisa, I just want to add one thing to, you know, what I think is really critical for us, you know, I, I, a primary strategic focus for the DBMC is that we do provide financial support and scholarships. And I have to acknowledge that we do have a very strong corporate donor base, but one of our big risks is if we do lose that donor base, 
you know, we are unable to sort of really deploy and execute on the work we've set out to do. And, and that's probably a little bit of my DBM MBA brain coming out here, speaking about how important it is, you know, as Courtney said, for us to have that financial funding and support, but also the interest of individuals who want to come into the profession and stay there. And so I think, you know, as we think about how do we keep people aware uh, we sort of keep this culture, this cultural humility about the work we're doing and continue to sort of grow the donor base. And, you know, people are welcome to reach out to any of us. Please go to all our social media links. Um, we'd be happy to sort of talk to you about what, you know, a support for a student or a scholarship or, you know, whatever aid you could provide. And, and I say that from a place of being somebody who lives in a community and not for profit. I I've been chairing Veterinary Installed Borders internationally for many years, and I saw incredible people come forward during the Ukraine crisis as we've supported over 700 shelters, where I've never seen the power of the human-animal bond be so incredibly strong that people will not leave, right? We've had... 85-year-old people who cannot get out of our country in a humanitarian crisis taking care of 80 dogs. And we can't get food or help those people if we don't have these donors. And that is no different in an analogous manner to the work we're doing with DBMC, which is how do we move society forward and create change? And I think this is really important work. And so I just want to encourage people, if they want to reach out to us about being a supporter or a sponsor, we're here to listen. Oh, great. So I that was going to be one of my follow-up questions. Um, you know, do you take individual donations? I was going to be shocked if you said no, but. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll welcome welcome. all donations, Lisa. We welcome all. Yes. <laughs> Yes, if you go to the uh, website, there certainly is a link there for, uh, you know, finding ways to get involved and and uh, scholarships and, and all of those types of things, um, volunteering as well. So, you know, what do you see, Kimba, long term for DVMC, right? Because this is a diversity work is long you have to have the long horizon view of yes. of things um to courtney's point as well that kind of patience oh i thought we were done i thought we were done next year like diversity we were, we're it's it's done right we're finished it's we reached the finish line hey, again last week i was at a meeting and said people did not speak to me no we are <laughs> yeah a great question lisa so when when i think about it Personally, um, the first person that I ever saw practicing veterinary medicine was my veterinarian who was vaccinating our dogs. That gentleman happened to be an African-American male. And it never occurred to me how important that was mm -hmm. until now, because when I saw him in the practice of veterinary medicine, it was completely within my realm of possibility. Just like I saw the mailman and the dentist and the pharmacist, this was like, oh, it's possible to have a career like this. So when I think about the long-term goals of DVMC, DVMC long-term wants a profession that is so diverse that becoming a veterinarian, a veterinary technician, a veterinary practice manager is well within the realm of possibilities for that young person. 
right? And it, it shouldn't be something that your parents are like, oh, I don't know if you should do that. It should just be in the conversation when you think about what do you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. So I think that, you know, diversifying the profession is really important because the the other thing that I would remind the audience is when you look at the veterinary oath and the veterinary oath is very similar to the oath that veterinary technicians take. We take an oath that says we are going to use our professional skills and our knowledge for the benefit of society. So before we even talk about a dog or a cat, we talk about society. And I think it's incredibly important that the veterinary profession get better about thinking about society. Mm. Ooh, my trap. Yeah, my trap moment. Yes, yes. I mean, I think that that um, that is such a really important uh, point because I think that sometimes we all get kind of a little bit more narrowly focused and we forget that, you know, um, while veterinary medicine is concerned about the animal, the animal is not like, Oh, I've made an appointment on the app. (laughs) Right. Right. Nor is that animal writing you a check to pay for you for those services. Exactly. Like, you know, I tell people all the time, like when Barclay, bless his little heart, can kind of, you know, take himself to the vet and make his own, like, you know, pet desk out, uh, pull up the app and make his appointment and go handle his business without me or my debit card. (laughs) (laughs) Then we don't have to talk about me. Right. (laughs) Right. But it's pretty reliant (laughs) on my participation in his health (laughs) care. So, uh, so we're seeing, you know, what, what I'm hearing is that this group is going to be around for a long time then. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, nothing, right. But, but certainly there is, there is still going to be a critical need several years from now. Absolutely. There's going to be a critical need. I mean, you know, I think Jen did such a nice job about talking to us in the beginning about the the lack of the appropriate number of veterinarians in the appropriate fields of service. So what about large animal? What about ambulatory? What about food animal? We have so many needs, right? I mean, COVID has just exposed the tie between human health animal health, environmental health, when we look at it, we know that we need more veterinarians. We need more veterinary technicians. And if we are going to be successful at that, then it is upon us to say, welcome to our profession. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. And we have to present that in a way that folks who are considering professions will consider veterinary medicine. Because if we are unable to do that and our profession cannot sustain itself, it will be because those of us who are in the profession have not done enough to open the door and say welcome. Well, there you go. Kimberton told y'all. So, <laughs> no, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Kimba, Jennifer, and Courtney. I really appreciate um, having you on the show and learning 
personally more about DVMC. I saw Jennifer with her DVMC swag cup. I picked one of those up myself uh, this summer. So I, uh, swag is always good. Yep, yep, show it off. Uh, <laughs> so um, I really look forward to working uh, with DVMC um, in the future and certainly um, through AAVMC. So thank you for being on the show to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for having, us. for having us. It's really been incredible. And we consider this transformational work. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to sit at this table with you so we can bring people into this very rewarding and noble profession. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So this has been another episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air to my guests, Kimba, Jennifer, and Courtney. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Be sure to subscribe to the show uh, through your favorite podcast app. Be sure to also visit us on SoundCloud and check out some of our playlists. We have wonderful um, group uh, uh, shows to kind of cover various topics. So be sure to check that out and uh, we will be back again soon. Thank you so much and enjoy your day.